0: When I was a kid, whenever I was sick or hurt badly or anything like that, I would ask my parents, is God judging me? I would always have that thought, like I'm being punished by God for something. He's judging me for my sinfulness. And I would ask that just about every time that I was sick or that I considered myself to be suffering in some way. And even when I got older, that stuck with me. And for a long time, I battled with that. I I thought that every time there was some sort of affliction or difficult circumstances, that I was under divine judgment. And uh, it was a miserable thing for me to go through. And unfortunately, uh, that's what a lot of people still go through. A lot of Christians, they uh, have a hard time separating that thinking from themselves. And right now, especially with all that's going on with COVID-19, that's one of the questions that honestly isn't a bad question to ask. Is any of this or is all of this uh, in any way related to uh, God drawing His people toward repentance? That's a good way of looking at it. And uh, that's a question that I think a lot of people are asking right now. We talked last week about the fact that this crisis, like many others, causes questions to come into our minds, and we, we do sometimes need to take a step back and say, okay, where could this be coming from? What might be the source of this situation and these circumstances? And that question, is this related to sin? Is this God um, acting uh, in relation to our sin? Is this Him driving us toward some specific repentance, uh, that may be a question to consider. And as we look at Job again this week, uh, that's certainly a question that his friends felt the need to answer for him, whether or not he even asked it, which he really didn't, um, but they felt that that should be asked, and they felt that they had the answer for him. They knew what all this was about, and they felt that it was absolutely tied to his own sinfulness. After Job experienced all that he did, losing all of his possessions and losing his children and then being afflicted uh, with all those physical issues with the sores and the boils, and as he's right in the middle of a very deep and understandable depression, his friends come to him, three friends, and at first they do something very good. They do what they should have done, and really, probably this is what they should have continued to do, and this is all they should have done rather than departing from it and going into um, being self proclaimed philosophers and the authority on uh, the situation that job was was being faced with. What they did was they came to him and they wept with him, they grieved over the loss that job experienced, and then they just sat quietly for days without saying a word. they just sat with him in his grief in his Depression, and they were just there. They were just there for him. And in that sense, they showed themselves to truly be his friends. Unfortunately, he didn't stop there. And these three friends share their ideas of why all this happened to Job. Job did speak finally, and he said, You know what? I wish I wasn't even born. I, I, I mourn the day of my birth. I, I think that God made a mistake and he should have never even let me see life. Uh, it would have been better if I had just been miscarried, and he just kind of went through this speech of of how it would have been so much better for him and everyone else if he had just never even been born, and that his life was a tragic mistake, and he just goes on with that kind of uh, line of thinking, and then his friends chime in. And so we're going to pick up in Job chapter 4, uh, verses 6 through 9, and this is the first of three friends. This is Eliphaz, Eliphaz, and he says this, Isn't your piety, your confidence, and the integrity of your life your hope? Consider, who has perished when he was innocent? Where have the honest been destroyed? In my experience, those who plow injustice and those who sow trouble reap the same. They perish at a single blast from God and come to an end by the breath of his nostrils. In other words, what he was saying in subtle ways was, Job, I think that you need to take a hard look at yourself because uh, the, the people who maintain integrity, the people who are innocent truly, they never see hardship. They never see disaster. They don't see affliction. Bad things don't happen to good people, Job. You heard that before? right? That's really what he was saying here. Job, there must be something at work in your life that brought all this about, because those who are truly righteous, those who are truly innocent, they don't see what you are seeing. The circumstances you're under, they don't get under. So there's there's something wrong here with you. You need to think about that. And then, after he's done, um, Bildad chimes in, And we see what he has to say to Job in Job chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Then Bildad, the Shuhite, replied, How long will you go on saying these things? Because Job did interject, and he said, No, you're wrong. I am innocent, and I'm going to maintain my integrity. I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't sinned. This is just happening to me. And he says, How long will you go on saying these things? Bildad says that to Job. Your words are a blast of wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? Then he gives a real zinger to Job. I mean, he just drops a, a bomb on him that's crazy. Look at look what he says. Since your children sinned against him, he gave them over to their rebellion. Really? Really, Bildad? I mean, here's this man hurting, grieving, a broken heart from the loss of his children, and he brings his kids into it, and he says, you know what, it's their fault. The reason they're gone, the reason what happened to them happened is it was a a divine retribution for their unrighteousness. They got what they deserved, is really what he was saying. Wow, thanks for that, Bill, Dad. I really feel so much better, right? And then he goes on, verse 5, he says, But if you earnestly seek God, implying he had not been up to this point, if you earnestly seek God and ask the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, then he will move even now on your behalf and restore the home where your righteousness dwells. And then Zophar comes on the scene. Job chapter eleven, verses fourteen through seventeen is what we're going to look at. Job eleven, fourteen. If there is iniquity in your hand, remove it. And don't allow injustice to dwell in your tents. Again, implying that that's exactly what uh, was true of Job, that there was iniquity in his hand and in his life. Verse 15, Then you will hold your head high, free from fault. You will be firmly established and unafraid. For you will forget your suffering, recalling it only as water that has flowed by your life will be brighter than noonday. Its darkness will be like the morning. So, Job, just stop being wicked and all your problems will go away. You won't even remember all this suffering. You might feel like it's going to be with you and you're going to never forget what you've gone through, but that's not true. Just start being righteous, Job, and all that will fade away. And Three times Job and his friends go back and forth where Job holds on to his integrity, he holds on to his righteousness, and he starts getting really annoyed and really frustrated, and and he starts saying, no, I'm not to blame, Um, this is just God treating me unfairly, this is God deciding that uh, he's no longer going to be just with me, and man, I just wish I could take him to court and plead my case and my innocence would be shown and I'd be absolved of all this that you guys are saying. And at one point, about halfway through the conversations in chapter 16, Job says, you are all miserable comforters. He says, if the, if the tables were turned and you came to me in my time of need, I would actually give you something good. I would actually be there for you. I would speak comfort. I would try to encourage you. I wouldn't try to point out all the ways you're wrong and that you're just getting what you deserved. And apparently, God agreed because later at the end of the book, he really puts them in their place and he rebukes their absolute pitiful performance as Job's counselors, which was absolutely right. I mean, they just really did a a very poor, poor job of trying to be comfort to him. And just by way of a side note for all of us, be careful how you counsel. Be careful how you counsel. We're all counselors to some extent you know we all have people in our lives and around our lives that at some point are going to come to us for some encouragement for comfort for counsel and we're going to need to come to them it's reciprocal uh, god has placed people in our lives and he's placed you and other people's lives for that purpose and so when those times come uh, we just need to be very careful how we go about seeking to comfort those people uh, we need to be careful in what we say and in how we say it. Uh, we need to be careful and intentional about saying things in an absolute way when maybe we shouldn't. You know, there's, there's times of, of speaking the truth in absolutes and that needs to happen. Uh, and even then we need to make sure we speak that truth in love and in grace. And there are times where uh, we might be saying something that's truly our opinion, and maybe it's not absolutely what um, God would have us to say or for us to establish as as definite truth. So we need to be discerning. We need to always come back to God's Word. That's where the truth is always found. Uh, That needs to be our anchor, and whenever we counsel Whenever we seek to be a comfort, uh, make sure to go back to his word. That's the objective standard. I just want to encourage all of you in that, and that's not something that's true for just professional or licensed counselors or someone like me as a pastor. That's true for all of us. And with this whole line of discussion and dialogue with Job and his friends and the question that they, again, felt Called to answer for him uh, in relation to why is he suffering? Well, it must be his sin, and it must be god 's judgment on sin. Suffering can be tied to sin, absolutely. Adversity certainly can be a divine instrument used to bring about repentance i don 't want you to misunderstand what i 'm saying here this morning. Um, I absolutely believe that God uses difficult circumstances as an instrument to draw us to repentance. Uh, we see that time and time again, all through Scripture. Um, look at the nation of Israel. I mean, all through the period of the judges, you know, the the Bible there says um, over and over, the nation of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so he handed them over to and you fill in the blank, and it was, it was a nation or a ruler that enslaved them and treated them harshly and oppressed them all for the purpose of ca- causing them to recognize their sin and their need for God and for them to repent of their their sinfulness and their rebellion. And they did that. They cried out to the Lord and they repented of their sin and He sent a deliverer in. And that happened over and over. Um, look at first and second Kings. And the same thing is true for the split kingdom when there's judgment for Israel or judgment for Judah and they're, they're carried away in captivity. They're in exile. And it's all for the purpose of causing them to stop and realize their sin, to turn from it, to turn from their rebellion to turn toward God, so absolutely God can use suffering to wake us up to our sin. God can use difficulty and adversity to draw us back to him. I believe that one hundred percent, and we need to be aware of that um, second chronicles seven thirteen through fourteen is a very clear passage that shows that that's true. There, God says, if I shut the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, or if I send pestilence, that's disease, illness, on my people. See, so God is saying, yeah, I absolutely could do those things. I absolutely might be behind those things. Uh, that could very well be instruments that I use. He says it right here. But this is what he says after that. And my people who bear my name. So if I do all of those things, if I send those things, if I allow that, if I use those devices and I, I send that even to my people, if my people who bear my name Humble themselves, pray, and seek my face. There's the pattern for repentance. And turn from their evil ways. There's the action of repentance. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. So we see a connection there between sin and wickedness and rebellion and Suffering. There's an obvious connection there, so we can't deny that. Um, I'm not saying that that's wrong to, uh, to seek that as a possible solution for why things might be happening. It's, it's not wrong, uh, to ask that question. It's a good question to ask sometimes, and sometimes a needed one. What I am trying to say though, and for us to understand, is that suffering is not always automatically tied to divine punishment or judgment for specific sin. Um, it can be. It might be what God is using as an instrument, as a tool to get us to turn back to Him and to to wake up and, and truly repent, but it doesn't mean that it's always or automatically by default that. And that's certainly contrary to uh, legalism or the other extreme, the prosperity gospel. See, this question that Job's friends uh, felt like they needed to answer for him and had the answer for, uh, and like I said at the beginning that I struggled with when I was a kid and even into my older, early teenage years, um, that's something that is very pervasive, and it's something that a lot of people struggle with needlessly. Um, There's an entire philosophy and a theology. There's two of them, really. One is legalism, like I just mentioned, and one is the prosperity gospel. Legalism says, um, for, for God to like me and for God to really love me and for God to bless my life, I've got to do this and this and this and this. I've got to follow the rules completely. I've got to hold on to the law. I've got to uphold it. I've got to observe it. You know, I've got to perform to a certain level. And when I don't, if I don't perform and get all the externals of life right, then God's going to be mad at me and he's going to judge me and he's going to withhold his blessing and favor from my life. So I've got to be good for God to be good with me. That's legalism. The other extreme is the prosperity gospel, which says, if you don't have a certain level and standard of blessing, and if you don't just have good, good, good happening all the time in your life, if everything's not going according to plan and how you desire it to be, well, then it must be that you don't believe enough or you don't have enough faith or you have some abiding sin in your life, and that's why God's withholding his favor because God, like Job's friends said and they suggested, God will never allow suffering or bad situations or circumstances to come into the lives of those who are truly righteous and upright, those who truly are maintaining integrity before God are going to be completely blessed by him without any adversity. That's what they said, and that was a very common philosophy in the Middle Eastern culture of the day that went all the way through into the New Testament time and all the way up through our day today. Right now, there are video streamed services all through the country and even in our area. And when we're all back together in physical meetings every Sunday morning, there's packed houses in churches right here that are one of those two extremes all the time. They either produce a legalistic gospel or a prosperity-driven gospel, neither of which are the gospel. Both are in error. And we see that the answer to suffering, the answer to affliction, um, may be sin sometimes, or it may be something entirely different. And that's beautifully uh, on display in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, when Christ's disciples... Had this carried over mentality and mindset that we saw introduced by Job's friends. And they ask that same question related to someone that they see. John 9, 1 through 3. As he was passing by, Jesus, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? See that philosophy at work? Same thing Job's friends said to him as the reason for his suffering. Same thing that we might be prone to think of ourselves and and, uh, promote still today. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And pay attention to Christ's answer. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus answered, well, then what was the reason for this man's suffering? What was the reason for this poor man that wanted to see and couldn't? Look at the answer. This came about, or this was allowed to be true for this man. This was his reality. So that God's works or glory, that's another way of looking at that, God's works or his glory might be displayed in him in his affliction, in his suffering, in his condition. This man was allowed to be born blind so that God's works and glory manifested in the person of Jesus, manifested in what he was going to do for him. He was going to heal him of his blindness. It was all orchestrated. It was all ordained. It was all allowed and put in place by God in his perfect sovereignty, all so that his perfect glory might be on display and at work in his life. Isn't that just huge? Isn't that beautiful and amazing? So sometimes the suffering that God allows to come into our lives may be used for uh, our wake-up call to draw us back to him, or it may very well be used just for his own glory and his own purposes to to put his glory and goodness on display. Another example would be Lazarus's death. Um, when Jesus heard about, uh, him being sick, you know, and the, the needing, him needing to come and Jesus delayed on purpose and he said to his disciples, this sickness, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death, but it will be for the glory of God. It is for The glory of God because Jesus was going to go and actually bring him back from the dead difficulty is often allowed and used by God to highlight to shine a big bright light on his glory and to refocus our attention on him and his glory which we always need we always need that um Certainly, we always have something in our lives to repent from. We need to be people of repentance. We need to be people of perpetual, ongoing, continual repentance. There's always something in our lives that is a barrier in our intimacy with God, in our relationship with Him. I mean, that's always going to be true. And certainly, uh, our our nation, our our land, our culture has. Tons and tons of things to repent from. So I'm not. I'm not saying that we shouldn't pursue repentance. Not at all. Uh, I'm just saying that we need to allow for the reality that God often uses difficulty and adversity to highlight His own glory and to draw our attention back to that. That's certainly what Job experienced at the end of of his affliction, at the end of his trial and his ordeal. Um, and we're going to see that next week. We're going to end with Job. Uh, I'm not actually going to include other examples um, in Scripture of people that were searching for certainty like I originally thought I would. I'm just going to end with Job. There's so much still there with him and his account, so we're going to just end this particular study with him next week, and as we do so, we're going to see that that's absolutely what needed to happen in Job's life, that he needed to kind of have a renewed perspective of God. He needed to be drawn back to God and his glory. He needed to have his attention recentered centered on that, and we're going to see that in a big way uh, next week. But what I want us to do um, today, and what I want our focus to be on right now um, as we end this particular message, is I want us all to see that purpose for suffering in these days. I want to see the purpose that God may have for us to be drawn back to his glory. I want us to see his purpose in, in suffering as being one of highlighting his glory for us and of drawing our attention back to that. I, I do want us, certainly, to seek repentance. I want us to Um, To be people of repentance, I want us to ask God: Are you are you drawing us to repentance in some specific way? God, are you using this or wanting to use this in my life to draw me to repent of a certain area of sin? That's absolutely something we should be asking God to reveal. Search me and know my heart, like David said. See if there is any offensive way in me and remove it. That absolutely should be part of our prayer. So do that. But I want you to also, I want all of us, myself included, to also um, see these circumstances, this COVID-19 circumstance, as an opportunity to be delivered from distraction. Because that's also what we need. And I really see in a big way, personally, in my own life, I see that as a big thing that God is wanting to do. I, I just see that as a big purpose through all this delivering me from the distraction that has so consumed my mind and my heart in all the days leading up to the uh, COVID-19 quarantines. And so I just challenge you to see it that way too. Let's choose to see and pursue God's glory in everything we experience, including COVID-19, including these social distanced times and quarantines and sheltering in place and all that goes with that. Because how different these days could seem to us if we would. And we certainly do need a clean heart. We certainly need clean hands. We certainly need to be a generation that seeks God in all we do, that pursues his righteousness, and that's what the world needs us to be, and that's what God certainly desires us to be, and repentance is a huge part of that. But another huge part of what he wants is for us to see his glory above everything, through everything, the good and the bad. So let's be people who pursue both. Father, I ask that you would work by your Spirit in our lives, to be people that are willing to ask the hard, uncomfortable, but needed question, is there sin, unconfessed, undealt with sin in my life, that you are using suffering or difficult circumstances to draw my attention to, to make me aware of, to lead me to repent from? Help us to all be willing to to entertain that thought, that possibility. Help us to be people that pursue repentance. But Father, please help us also to understand that every difficulty that we encounter, every um, unfortunate or undesired circumstance does not automatically mean that there is some sin in our life that, uh, that you are judging or that you are bringing to our attention. It may very well be that you want us to focus a little bit more or a lot more on just how good you are in everything, that above difficult days your glory is seen, and maybe you're just wanting to highlight your glory more in our lives. So whatever the case may be, uh, help us to be people that are open to your work and to your leading and what you want us to see and remember and what you want us to um, be drawn to. I pray that we would be people of both, people of repentance and people that pursue your holiness, that see it and are drawn to it and draw others to it. And Father, for us to draw other people to your holiness and to your glory and to all that you are, uh, we do need to be people of purity. We need to be people of clean hearts, of clean hands. May we be a generation of people that seek your face in all things, that see your goodness in all things. May you work in our lives this day and every day going forward to that end, all in accordance with your will and your perfect purpose and in any and every way you desire to work. May it be done In us, I pray in Jesus' name.